The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen-shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax. This is Tofa. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and returning guest Charlie Clawson. Uh good to have you here. We're in uh, London in my Soho flat. Uh there is some construction work going on outside <laughs> which I've been trying to sleep through, uh which has not been going well, but uh welcome guest Charlie Tiffany Stevenson. Welcome Hello. back Tiff. Hi, hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Uh we just walked up the six flights of stairs because the dodgy little elevator seems to be broken yet again and uh both of us it turns out are not quite in good nick for the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> broken Britain it's broken Britain um yeah it's embarrassing i get emba- cuz i do work out but i get embarrassed at how out of breath i seem to get just doing everyday things and uh- The other night on stage, I um had just done a whole routine about how I've stopped going to the gym and I've never been happier. And then I tried to open my water bottle and the lid was on too tight, and it took me about a minute and a half on stage to take a lid off a water bottle, which was probably not. I mean, was funny to the audience, but was not really the point I was trying to make in that situation. That was great. I loved all of that stuff. Yeah, that was my night in London, which is called Old Rope, which Will did on Monday, um, which had the most ridiculous lineup of probably. Just anywhere in the world at that night, <laughs> you know, I th- I'd say in America, I, d- I could say there wasn't a better bill anywhere in the world that night than there was on Monday. It's pretty incredible for a night where people are, you know, literally just getting out there and trying new material. I mean, you had people like, I mean, Ed Byrne, who like a lot of Australian listeners would know, like because he's travelled there heaps. Glenn Wool, who again has travelled to Australia heaps, but a whole bunch of names that maybe they wouldn't be as familiar with as well, who are kind of big stars here, all trying new material. Yeah, yeah, and a new generation of uh, of sort of coming through who've been not necessarily coming up to sort of 10 years when i say new generation coming up to the 7 8 9 10 year mark whereas at, there's also people like yourself and ed and glen who've been doing it you know way longer than that getting into 20 years right, right? yeah so <laughs> So uh, we used to be so young. I remember <laughs> when we were all so young. I can't believe that it's been 20 years. Well, I see I'm coming up to 10 now. So so there's but people like Nish Kumar, Catherine Ryan, who's just been out in Australia, um uh, Sarah Kendall, Lucy Porter. Uh, so Sarah and Nish are both going to be on the podcast uh, at some stage in the next couple of weeks. So people will get be able to hear from both of those guys, which is really fantastic. Um, the, it's funny you say about that idea of um, you know it being so long and how things change. I was reminded this story when I was watching Ed the other night because you know Ed's like a family man now and he's got yeah. kids and all that sort of stuff. But I remember when I was in Edinburgh in 1999, um, I was playing <laughs> at the Gilded Balloon. You were partying like it was 1999. Yeah, because it was. I was I was taking that literally. I said, Prince, I take all your songs literally. <laughs> I've seen your Raspberry Beret. He's not lying. I know, right? I found it in a secondhand store. And Yay! so, yeah. <laughs> I went and saw Prince, actually, uh, in uh, LA. People who've listened to the podcast regularly have heard me tell this story before, but it's one of my favourite stories. I went to the gig based on a comedian's routine. Do you know the comedian Paul F. Tompkins? I I know of him. I don't think I've ever seen his work, but he's I've heard he's great. Brilliant. Like mad, brilliant, can tell a story like no one in the world. And I went and saw his show that he does, and he did this show about going and seeing Prince like the night before or whatever because Prince was doing I think 20 nights in a row at the Forum in LA for $20 a ticket, right? And so Paul told this story and it was like a 10 or 12 minute story about going to this gig, and it made it sound so amazing that I went on the internet the next day and bought like a ticket to this <laughs> show based on his routine and how much fun he'd had right now it didn't cost me twenty dollars because by then they were all sold out so i had to you know buy someone Stop else's up. ticket yeah and uh, i went by myself uh, me and as it turns out because in australia prince is very much a Well, mostly because in Australia, most people are like white for a start. But secondly, Prince is kind of like you'd, you'd imagine like a mainstream act. But of course, you know, being in America and being like at the forum and stuff, it was really me and 20,000 black people. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, because Prince is like, a you know, like yeah. a black soul artist. I get this now, right? 
now the drilling's getting a little yeah. loud. Uh, so I had the greatest night of my life, but one of the best things about it, and I tell this story constantly, so I apologize if people have heard this before, but I want ballsiest start to a show I've ever seen in my life, right? So as like, you know, they're warming up. Now, Mary J. Blige did support, so that's already right. pretty, like people are pretty lo- much loving this. But then they have a break while, you know, they're setting up because it's in the round, right? So there's a massive stage in the middle and it's in the round. You know, there's a piano on one end and there's like, you know, stages on all the other ends. But on the giant screens in the middle, they're playing old James Brown concert footage, right? Which like, that's like, you know, before my gig, me just showing like, you know, uh, Louis C. Or, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Colin, someone yeah. who's dead, yeah. someone who's dead. <laughs> someone who's dead and, he, and is renowned as being brilliant. Yeah. I'll just do a compilation of their stuff and then I'll come <laughs> out and go, hi, I'm Will. <laughs> but the best thing was that because uh, it turns out that a lot of James Brown's band now play with Prince. So right. a lot of those guys are actually in Prince's band. That's part of it. But this is how Prince started the show. And to this day, the coolest thing that I've ever seen for a start of the show. So you've got all this footage of James Brown singing and dancing and everybody's having a great time and singing and dancing to James Brown. And then the final bit is an interview with James Brown. So, like, you know, this is all James Brown says. He goes, some people say, why don't you play the best of James Brown? And I say, because the best of James Brown is yet to come and then it just goes black right and then prince just raises out of the stage (laughs) it was the coolest thing and then he's gone over to his piano in the corner and for the first 20 minutes he played like like you know six bars of cream or whatever and everyone would get really excited and then he'd be just like i got too many hits too many hits and then he'd just go into another song and then just play for another two and a half hours after that so beautifully arrogant but so beautifully prince so prince and it's weird that you were mentioned Prince because we were talking about Ed originally and mm. Ed Byrne is like the biggest Prince fan. Um, he's got a lot of purple. He owns a lot of purple clothing, Ed, and I think that's a nod to Prince. But he also owns one of Prince's guitars. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. How, what, bought one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether it's a Les Paul or whatever it is. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so it, it, he he owns one of one of his guitars. He bought it at an auction years ago. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. He is the biggest Prince fan. If you ever just do like a Prince podcast, get Paul F. Tompkins, get Ed Byrne, get uh, them involved. Maybe I will do a Prince podcast. I yeah. never had thought about that before, but that'd probably be quite popular. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably be a lot more popular than this. <laughs> In fact, it's Tofop, thirty odd foot of Prince. That's what it is from now on. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we if you do that, then you have to do a Fleetwood Mac one as well, and then we can just talk about Stevie Nicks for ages. Uh, so tell me. Well, we can get back to Ed because you know we'll get back there eventually. But yeah. tell me, are you a Stevie? Like you're a Fleetwood, I love Stevie. Stevie Nicks. Why? Why? What? Just why Stevie Nicks? Because she. It's it's that go hard or go home. I love that. I love that. So I kind of do a story in my stand-up. You might have seen me do this bit before, but I talk about, um, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's my, what my I, vibrator's gone off again. That's what I've been uh, trying to <laughs> sleep, sleep through. through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have cleared the vibrator out of the flat before I... Um, <laughs> that's an industrial vibrator. <laughs> yeah. That needs two men in hard hats to I've operate. got needs. I've got needs, Will. Sometimes... <laughs> <laughs> I've got DIY needs. Uh, it, yeah. it is a tough night where you're having like, hang on, uh, we have to block off the street. Tiff's <laughs> just gone for a wank. We put out some witches hats. We put out some orange cones. <laughs> yeah, please. I think you need to wear those soundproof ear- earphones. Oh yeah, as that's well. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you just put these on, yeah, some goggles to cover your eyes. Yeah, just in case. Oh God, God! Imagine if I was if I was like. I went to LA and I was the reason that the San Andreas <laughs> just opened up, just like an earthquake, like a vibrator so strong it literally cracked LA in half. Did the earth move for you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, that, uh, we were talking about, um, uh, oh, no, no, my train of thought just went out the window. Oh, I was uh, talking about Stevie Nicks. Oh, yeah, tell yeah. me about Stevie Nicks. Yeah, so Stevie, um, so sometimes in my show when I'm messing with the audience, I talk about my awareness that the elephants in the room and one of them is is me being aware that by performing for them I am their hero (laughs) I just say I know you're looking at me going hero hero but you're probably wondering who my hero is and one of my heroes is Stevie Nicks and there's a couple of reasons for this uh Uh, The first is that when she joined Fleetwood Mac in the late 70s, she had, I'll say allegedly, uh, allegedly had quite a rapacious cocaine habit. Mm. Not that alleged because she sings songs about it. Yeah, she sings songs about it, right? But the the rumour is that she snorted so much cocaine that she sort of destroyed her septum and took to having it blown up her arsehole through a golden straw. Yes. Now, 
that, that's the story that I think everybody has yeah, heard. Yeah. And it's one of those stories that you're like, if that's not true, surely you would have just come out at some stage and gone, that's not true, that's right? That's true, yeah. A little bit of two up the bum hole. So, that's, that's, that's her. So, uh, and who, can, what no, I love to, about I that. I want to know the mechanics of it, though. Do you know who, the, like, did who she the have a special was? person? Like, was there someone on tour who, was it an intimate partner or did you have like a, is he essentially, is that a roadie's job? I was going to say some poor roadie that's got the, that keeps the golden. An intern? Round his neck. <laughs> keeps the golden straw around his neck and it's like <laughs> you need to go to Stevie's dressing room and he's like as, as wonderful as Stevie Nicks ass probably is I imagine that that is uh, I, it's quite an intimate job isn't it it's I'd imagine it's one of those things where like you know you know like in the supermarket they have like a code for when somebody's vomited in like an aisle or whatever yeah or, or a turd in, a hospital in the swimming pool whatever. yeah exactly yeah. so they'd just be sort of like you know uh, uh, what would it be would it be uh, code brown no yeah. code Code gold? Golden code, brown? Code white. Code, oh, code yeah, white. code white. Code yeah. white. Code white. Code white. Get the straw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in they would wander. Maybe Don Henley did it because Don Henley and Stevie Nicks dated, right? Don Henley from the Eagles. Yeah. Is that what American Pie's about? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's that's a different Don. That's a different Don. That's, oh, um, that's uh, Don. oh no, Don Henley. No, that's yeah. right, isn't it? Don yeah, Henley so. is American. Which is the Don from the Eagles? It's different Don now. Are they different Dons? I thought They're that was the Don. same one. Maybe. Did he do American Pie as well? I, I don't so. think he did. No, I don't no, no, know. no. No. Don Don Henley is from the Eagles uh-huh. and he did uh let's look it up. Is your is your phone on? We're gonna look yeah, it up right up now. The There'll be people listening to this raging, going, I can't believe you've got your Dons mixed up. Uh mate, if so we, too many as long, Dons. As long as we're not talking about Don Bradman, the Australian cricketer, and getting that wrong, yeah, I think everything's gonna be fine. Or your Don uh, balls just falling out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um don't call it that. I've said it's a vibrator. Right. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so so basically that that kind of story, that legend, while we look this up, is one of the reasons I love Stevie because um, she was going to let nothing hold her back. You know, that is commitment to your drug taking, I think, that goes above and beyond. You destroy one part of your body and you just go, where else can I fire it in? Uh, yeah, you're not giving up, right? Yeah, yeah. Some people would be like, maybe I shouldn't take cocaine anymore. Part of my body's fallen off. <laughs> but she's like, I'm not going to let that stop no, me. No, she's going hard or going hard because it's right. pure rock and roll, right? But some people would stop at that hurdle. You know, some people would let that put them off, you know? Yeah, yeah not Stevie because she's not a quitter. She's like, she's no. not a quitter. What? Who needs a septum anyway when you've got an asshole? <laughs> yeah. And well, a guy who will blow that coke up your ass in a straw. Yeah, under duress. <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll sort the brown M&Ms for you. Um, but uh, but also, I think that my other thought is that it's quite a risky gambit, right? Because she's messing with her septum and her, you know, vocals. You know, she sings for a living. Sure. And so I have this theory that that's why all the Fleetwood Mac songs from the early 80s onwards start beautifully, but eventually she becomes Cartman from South Park. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, always, every song. Um, I'll give you a little sample of it, but I'll maybe wait till till that stops. That's actually someone like drilling through the wall, isn't it? It does. Like, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah. It, it feels like we're in, like, someone's drilling into where we are. Yeah, but is I, it not? It's not even like, it doesn't seem to be even on the roof because I can go on the roof here and I went up to have a look at how close it is and I don't understand what's going on, but it is very noisy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, uh, shall okay. I do, shall I do, shall I do yeah. my, Steve, shall I do, do you, my, uh, do your Stevie. Stevie and Cartman. And then I'll tell you about All right, then. All right, okay. Um, now here you go again, you say you want your freedom, but who am I to bring you down? It's only right that you should blame the way you're feeling. Have you any dreams you'd like to share? Um, a small bit of Bob Dylan as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think Stevie becomes Bob Dylan. If there's enough, co- if you if you shove enough coke up Stevie Nicks's ass, she turns into Bob Dylan. <laughs> All right, let's find out about Don Henley. Donald Hugh Don Henley, that's his name, uh, born July 22, 1947, is an American singer, songwriter, producer, and drummer, best known as a founding member of the Eagles before launching a successful solo career. Uh, okay, so now let's find. Uh, so, the, so the so the people that were uh, listening will probably know him most for. Now that the boys of summer have gone. Yes, that's right. Nobody on the road. Nobody on the beach. It's great. It's a great song, <laughs> and it's got electric seagulls in it that go. Ow, 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 ow. It's 
All right. So, um, okay. Now, who's American Pie then? What, okay, that's a different Don. Out. That's Don. I was going to say Don Cheadle, but that's an actor. It's not Don How Cheadle. <laughs> it's not Don Bradman. Oh, no, no, not American Pie, the film. Uh, <laughs> Song. Song. Hang on. I think it's Don something, isn't it? Let's find out. We're about oh, to find out. The tension at home. Don McLean. Don McLean. Don McLean. Yeah. Who's Don McLean? Oh, well, there's John McLean is Die Hard. Die Hard, yeah. Bruce Willis. <laughs> This is just like word association. Right. This is really fun for us. Uh, American Pie is a song by American folk rock singer and songwriter Don McLean. Oh, there you go. Okay. So uh, Don McLean wrote the song in Cold Spring, New York and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Why do we need to know that? And, and never stop writing it. Right. He's still writing it right now. It yeah. goes on for about 10 years. <laughs> uh, this song is unfinished, but here's the first 35 minutes that I've got so far. <laughs> I love that. I love the... Um, that's what I love. I love, that's why Stevie's my hero. I love the swag of rock singers. And I love that Prince did that at the beginning of his concert. And sometimes I feel in stand-up, that's why I kind of like doing it in stand-up because sometimes we can be too self-deprecating. I think sometimes it's quite fun. I kind of mix sort of high status and low status. So uh-huh. I can be quite self-deprecating. But sometimes I like to say shit like, clearly I'm your hero. Or I bet you can't believe that someone this good looking is flirting with you. You know, like the guys in the audience or something. And I don't think I'm that good looking, but that's why I think it's funny. Oh, uh, but yeah. Also, uh, that's like um, uh, if, I, if I'm playing like a small room or whatever and like, you know, I'm trying a new joke and uh, that it doesn't work, particularly in Australia, you know, like if I, and, and it doesn't work. I'm like, hey, you should just be happy that you are this close to a celebrity for $5. <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm off the tally. And yeah. look, because, of course, I don't think that or I wouldn't be there. You know, if you yeah. really thought that, you'd be at home not talking to those people. But it's a nice – you can mix that high status. I think people who do it well – Tom Gleeson, we were talking about just when we were having lunch, uh, is a brilliant Australian comic who plays high status really well. There's a guy called Ronnie Chang who – Oh, I uh, love Ronnie, is, yeah. Is, yeah, he does a very good line in high status Phil as well. Phil Wang as well. Have yep. you seen Phil Wang? Yeah. He was out – yeah, he does the, a brilliant – he calls himself Old Wang. Wang and Chang. They should yeah. do a – Yeah. The oh, Wang and Chang show. The Wang and Chang <laughs> Everybody Wang Chang tonight. Yeah. That would be amazing. Let's let's pitch it to them. Uh, Eddie Peppertone as well. He's got kind of he does like he's a kind of a mix between hating himself and then some really arrogant stuff that's quite nice. I think I think all comics have to um I really like Chelsea Peretti actually when she did her special, which I really enjoyed. And it's called something completely it's called one arrogant. Of, isn't one it? of the greats. Yeah. And her <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. And her point was kind of like all the guys think this about themselves and refer to themselves in this way. And it's about time the women stepped up and went, yeah, I'm one of the great. And she arrives in her motorcycle. She gets down on like bended knee and just goes, I'd just like to thank God for making me so amazing. It's really funny. <laughs> She's really, really funny. She's, um, um uh, I watched that show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, I love that show. And it, isn't it one of those shows that if you told me like you wouldn't watch it. I would not watch it. Yeah, I would just like that. I will not enjoy that show. But it's one of those ones. If you give a chance, you're like, there is so many delightful things going on in that show. So many people giving really wonderful little performances and kind of offbeat sort of things ah, that you wouldn't. I want to get a part in that. I want to get a part in an episode of that. Oh, yeah, I love okay. it so what much. What character? What character would you play? I Let's don't know. Like maybe like some like British con artist. Okay, where they all get drawn in by the Britishness of me and oh, are really yes. charmed by it. But uh-huh. Then I, ultimately I try and screw everyone. Turns over. out that you're sort of a grifter could you be a love interest would you be happy to be a love interest for someone oh, oh like andy sandberg that'd be really hard i don't know if i could uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like i i love it and I, I i just think everyone's really funny in it and there's some like quite sort of uh theatrical actors in it as well who, who put in really funny turns but uh, I think it's Terry. Well, Andre, brum, brum, brum. yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy from uh, Homicide: Life on the Streets, yeah, uh, who is a brilliant, serious actor, does such a great. Like, because sometimes also I find, you know, when somebody does one of those characters that's humorless, yeah, I actually find them humorless, yes, without humor, yeah. But he manages to play a humorless character so hilariously. I think there's a real standout episode where you really get to see how great, how much everyone's nailed their character in that. Is the one where they go to the party at the captain's house. Oh yeah, and and that is so brilliant because every because it became like that in that moment. Although it's very different to Friends, I felt like a real. That's how I know this is brilliant because what I'm doing is I can't wait to see or I'm trying to guess what each person's going to say in that scenario. And you know, then that's something that's really found it because you, you know that with Friends you go, oh Chandler's going to say this here. Could it be any more Chandler? You know, and <laughs> and, and Monica's going to be uptight, but not in like a 
a one-dimensional way in a fully flat and that's when you really and I was kind of waiting for each character uh you know like Diaz to kind of you know and you're going oh, I'm waiting for each one to kind of come up with something that I know that they're going to do that's part of their character. And I, I think even I the fact that. that, like, you know, he, the captain is in, like, a same-sex relationship and they never play it for what you would refer to as, like, a traditional laugh in the way that you would use yeah. that. Yeah. I think that's just, like, it's a kind of interestingly grown-up show. Like, yeah. they've kind of snuck through this very kind of counterculture show in a very kind of mainstream sort of way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's really nice when it's... um it's not brought up and discussed, but obviously everyone's aware of a thing. Like there's a, I've just done a show, I've just done four episodes of a show here called uh, People Just Do Nothing, which is on BBC Three, uh-huh. which is... And what a, sort of show is it? Well, it's basically a mockumentary kind of set in a pirate radio station. Okay. So it's... So a radio a, station run yeah, by pirates. Run on a by boat, pirates, right? On a boat, yeah, Everyone's yeah. got an eye patch. Yeah. <laughs> you had a wooden leg in it. Adam Hills is the lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just uh, I'm sort of the Kira Knightley character. Um, uh, I just sort of pout a lot. Is pirate radio still a thing? Yeah, or is this well, a timepiece? Is it set in no, a different no, no. time? Pirate radio still is a thing here, like underground garage grime, like kind of that kind of music. Oh, okay, like hip, not even hip hop, but more like yeah, more like garage, like trancey music. So you still get people still have pirate radio stations. They probably were biggest in the nineties, right? An early 2000s. You know, before podcasts still... and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Because that's yeah. essentially what pirate radio is now, Yeah, podcasts. yeah, yeah. But these are like music ones where you hear yeah. like, uh, one to the two to the three to the four, fall on the floor. So you'll get like an MC and you'll get like, that was, I can't believe. <laughs> that was pretty good though. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, You're listening so... to pirate radio. <laughs> <laughs> so the pirate radio station is called Corrupt FM and they're set in like with a, a... K or with a C? With a K, yeah, obviously. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it's set in a housing estate in like Brentford. So what you would call social housing. In, okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. So, so it's kind of set in there and um, it's these, what I love about it, cause it's a real slice of working class life and it's filmed in the area that I grew up. So it's, it was kind of like perfect casting uh, for me. Cause it's like my, that's my area that I grew up in. So the, the, the two sort of lead characters in it are, um, a guy called uh, uh, um, MC Grimes and DJ Beats. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, MC Grinder, sorry, and DJ Beats. And um, MC Grinder and DJ Beats. Yeah, yeah. It sounds either like that. It sounds actually like a combined record store and coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm MC Grinder and I'm DJ Beats, and here's your latte. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, with with some fat tunes behind right, it, yeah. full fat milk and fat tunes, <laughs> full uh, fat milk and full fat beats. Yeah, yeah, it's, they're really really funny, and uh, so 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 basically, the, and a lot of it is improvised as well. Um, and I guess sort of influence, or what I spoke to the boys when they were doing it, kind of like they really love The Office, yeah. which I did an episode of. So they were kind of like we were we were sort of talking about that, but it kind of quite heavily. Um, improvised we we got scripts and stuff but what i really like about it is it's it's in a working class background which is where i come from but the characters it's not kind of just slamming working class people going they're all feckless and because they have like they're idiots like in the same way that anyone's an idiot but they have their hopes and dreams and they want to make things of this little radio station that they've got and there's a character in it so grinder's girlfriend is called mish and uh, she, like, you can tell she has potential to, like, kind of do stuff, but she's got this kind of sort of really arrogant attitude. And then the second series, which is the one that I'm in, she, um, uh, I play the boss of a hairdressing salon that she gets a job in. So I think I'm allowed to say that's fine. Uh, so, so, yes, yeah. No, no, I think I'm allowed to say that. So, so, um, but uh, uh, there's a, this was a sort of reoccurring thing from the first series. Grinder's best mate is, is a black guy. And uh, he talks, Grinder talks about his daughter all the time. Um, and it's clearly the black guy's kid. Right. There's <laughs> just no one ever mentions it. Like, and so it's just kind of played, it's always kind of played for sort of looks. There's always those kind of sort of looks to car- camera, like as if people are like, so when you're introduced, you know, like this is Angel's birthday party or whatever, you know, and you kind of go up. Oh, and you go, this is Grinder, and this is just his mate. And he's always sort of there. And their relationship uh, is kind of really sweet as well. And so, it, but it's just one of those things that is there, but it's never, we're not going to hammer it. It's kind of, it's just always there. So it, it leaves people to go quite clearly. That's not his kid. I like that though. I mean, I yeah. don't know if you've seen Mad Max Fury Road. Oh my God. It's one of the best things I've seen in but forever. The thing that I like the most about that movie, and there was a lot of things to like, but was the fact that, they never had those speeches where they said, you know, 
they explained what was going on in the world, but the action and every you got the impression that it was a fully realized world. Yeah. You know, when you saw the people, you went, like, okay, there's a reason that this happens and a reason that even though you don't specifically say, hey, when they die, they spray their faces like this because they've been fed a mythology about this Valhalla because people use mythology to control people, get them work for them, and they are the equivalent of religious fanatics in that time. Yeah. And there's witness, never the witness moment where they right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get that. Just yeah. from what they show yeah. you, you don't actually have to have someone oh. sit down and go, when they're about to die, what we like to do in our community. Well, I loved it. And I ended up not having an argument with my boyfriend. He was like, just because I didn't love it as much as you when it finished. I went, I think you have to understand that even if you loved it, as a woman watching it, I nearly cried because I loved that character of Charlize Theron so much. And I, what I said to my boyfriend Paul at the time was, I was like, what you don't understand is that we don't get to see this. No. We don't get to see this. Imagine living your whole life without seeing yourself represented as the hero. Like, imagine. That's how rare it is. Like, I wanted to, like, scream and shout and cry and whoop. And I think I, like, tweeted, like, Furiosa, oh, my God, I love you. She's now there with Sarah Connor and Buffy for me and my sort of little world of, like, the very – that's how rare it is that I'm going back to Sarah Connor and Buffy. Right. And uh, and so that's how rare it is in film to see somewhere where you go, they are the out and out hero, they are the boss, they own it. And and I just thought it was a really powerful performance. There's that bit where she drops to her knees in the desert and I was like crying, you know. And uh, my boyfriend went, no, I loved it. I just don't think I loved it as much as you. And I went, it's because for me, there's just this extra thing in it. And I love the fact. And he went, it kind of isn't really about Mad Max. And I went, no, and that's what I love about it. And it's beautiful and it's clever because if they'd have called it Furiosa, they, people would, not as many people would have gone to see it. So I just think, I love what he's done. I love how sneaky he's been. He's gone, no, you're going to watch this and you're going to accept it. And, and, and you know, and, and my boyfriend writes as well. He, like, he's a writer-director and he might bring something to me and I'm like, that's not interesting unless you make the lead a woman. Unless you make just take all of it leave it as it is just make it a woman then all of a sudden I start to see something exciting or interesting and that's how starved we truly are and then when the more people went it's feminist propaganda the more excited I was to see it because I was like there's no propaganda here the fact that you think it's feminist propaganda because a woman is the lead and it's a man who is enslaving women but he's also enslaving men as well He's not, it's not just women. He's got the kids killing themselves in. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the funniest thing of all. We, you know, when the MRAs and all those people were getting upset about it, I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, well, that's fine. Cause if you want to see men represented as the heroes, just watch every other movie that's ever been made. Yeah. Like, you know, literally this is one film. And by the way, it's not like, you know, everything, again, it's a complex. I've talked about this a lot recently and I think it's what's happened is, and what part of the reason that men feel so threatened by this like third wave of feminism, if that's what we're calling it or whatever it is. I mean, it just should be a constant thing, but it yeah. seems like that's what it's being labelled at the moment. So um, men are so threatened because some men seem to think that it means that like everything men have ever done is wrong. Uh, the thing that I would say is that a lot of the way we've built our world, you know, the aggression and the uh, the the progress and all those sort of things, it was necessary for us, like as we evolved, to be violent and aggressive and to want power and to overtake things. But now we live in a world where those skills aren't necessary anymore. In fact, they're destructive to the society that we've built. And I think that was really through this film was like it was the women in the film who were trying to you know grow the plants back and regrow and it was the men who were you know fighting over the oil and the war and had kind of destroyed the planet and i thought that was just an accurate representation of these things that help you survive are also the things that kind of can destroy us at the same time which i think is very yeah. reflective of where we are in our society at the moment which is like we need to say a little it's an interesting one. For example, I read an, uh, I read an interesting article recently about budgets. It was about the Australian – they were trying to balance the budget in Australia and uh, they'd done this big survey that men were much more interested in the budget being balanced for the country and women were less interested in it because they know what the budget's for. The budget is for spending on schools and education and roads and all those sort of things. They understand the point of it. Yeah. And I think that's why you need more women in power so that we get a more representative, like, you know, of, of, of all of society and we get all those ideas. Just making it equal <coughs> and so many people – think feminism is about hating men and a lot of those are women that think that which is desperately sad but it's about equality isn't it and uh, of course of course you know some men are gonna be afraid if i'd had privilege for that long i would be afraid of losing it right but you 
Oh, well, no, I don't think that you should be, though, because yeah. I think that somehow I, I think it's very hard to enjoy something if you feel like you haven't earned it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what we need to explain to people. No one's saying that you don't get to do the thing. What we're saying is we want a world where you can equally compete with everybody else. Yeah. And if you are then still the best person to have that or do that or create that or whatever, good on you. Yeah. But you don't get a head start. Like the, the equivalent at the moment between sort of like white men and the rest of the world. Let's be honest. Yes, what, that's what that's, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's the equivalent of if they were running the 100 metres at the Olympic final. You know, it's normally eight black men, you know, yeah. running there. And they went, okay, we're going to get a white man in and we're going to let him start 30 metres in front of all of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's basically what society is. And yeah. that doesn't mean that if you're a white man out there listening and you're like, well, my life's hard and I work. Of course. Me too. But yeah. it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist across our society. As a, yeah. Talk to me about politics. I want to talk to you about this because you recently had an election here and I wasn't as across as I should be. Talk me through what the environment is, what went on. How did that all go down? Uh, well, I, I had to get my vote done by proxy. So my boyfriend had to vote for me because I was in the Middle East, which was very, which is now sort of 10 to 15 minutes of my new show has been written about being in the Middle East because uh-huh. the first leg of that was in Dubai, which... If you've not been to Dubai, imagine like someone chewed up a bunch of mirrored glass and then threw it up in the desert. That's the best way I can describe. It's like all the worst aspects of Western culture put into like one place. It's just literally labels, shop, shop, pointless celebrity, uh, grotesque spending, but in an ostentatious way. It's really, I was really intrigued by it. And I've got this whole bit because there's, there seems to be this kind of, thing happening at the moment in media of like you know and and it's a it's kind of political correctness kind of gone crazy but we are getting to this point where we're going actually you know maybe we're being really patronizing to middle eastern women by saying they're oppressed because there's choice you know maybe we're more oppressed you you might have seen me do material about this on monday right like maybe we're more oppressed you know because we like our body fascism and like our you know uh vaginoplasty and stuff like that to me and you're like i mean have we all gone insane have we actually gone insane? Unless you went on and watched the video of the woman who was stoned to death in Afghanistan and beaten and set on fire, then I, I think this discussion is 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 meaningless or pointless, and and it is oppressive. And uh, the, sort of while we were out there, there was talk of doing a gig in Saudi Arabia, and I had to kind of go. I can't do that. I can't justifiably say that I'm going to go and do a gig in a place where I my voice is not wanted. Right. People can't drive cars. No. <laughs> you know, um, the tour manager was a woman. How are we going to get anywhere? <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's logistics to think about people. Um, uh, and, uh, but of course, you know, uh, when Obama and David Cameron and everyone, you know, when the Saudi uh, king died recently and everyone was talking about what a great man he was, you were like, wow, that shows when it comes to politics and the world stage, how how little we think of women. Um, when it comes to something else going in front of it, like oil. Oil. But that's it. <laughs> you know? We're willing to ignore all the atrocities that we go to war, by the way, with a, in a whole bunch of other places in the Middle East. We use that as an, as an excuse of why we're going into those countries. But yeah. because we have relationships, Australia does as well, of course, with Saudi Arabia, then we just ignore all the human rights violations that they are doing in equal numbers to those other countries. It's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of – so So I was sort of away there um, – when it was all happening. So my, my boyfriend did my vote for me and I kind of described, cause I think I did, uh, the episode of, uh, uh Charlie Pickering show, the Charlie Weekly. Pickering show, the weekly, which is on ABC in Australia. I think eight thirty on Wednesday nights. You should check that out. But if you can't check it out, there's uh, heaps of stuff online as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can see my stuff on the election online on there, but there was a bit that didn't kind of make it in, which was a kind of a mistake that Ed Miliband made, um, which was, so Ed Miliband was the leader of, cause the I, Labor I got a lot party. of American I have voted. Well. Okay. Right. So the Labor party is, who I voted for uh-huh. uh, and um, the Labour Party this is how I would describe them I was not enthused to vote Labour Party right I just didn't want the Conservatives in power so literally the way I treat Labour is like a safety boyfriend yeah. <laughs> so uh, or girlfriend if guys listening so you know that person in your life that you know for a long time and you're like listen if we're both single when we're 35 we'll totally marry each other like, you know, like, so it's like, you're not the first choice. And what we're going to have but is... But I'm the, sick of meeting bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to fuck another asshole, you right. know. So, I mean, that can be taken many ways. Um, but, um, I don't want to get fucked by another asshole, is yeah, probably. Yeah. So, I don't want to get fucked in the asshole by an asshole. Yeah. So basically, Labour is like the plot of a rom-com. Like, right. I, I literally, it's all, all joyless sex. Yeah. But... At least you know you're not going to get an STD. Right. That, anyway, that's 
<laughs> so that's my that's how I reluctantly chose to vote. And it's crazy because here we had like you'll have joyless sex, but he'll fight for your right to be paid equal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'll take that joyless. Look, you've heard the size of my vibrator, guys. I don't need a man to do it for me. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah so that's kind of how I got to choose that's how I got to choose the political party that I did choose because I didn't want the conservatives to get in power because the conservatives hate the arts uh, they hate women they hate poor people basically if we wanted kind of an equal shot now what happened was the SNP were growing in power here so tell tell people who they're so the SNP are. are the Scottish National Party and there was a referendum for Scotland to uh, uh, you know uh, for devolution for Scotland to be independent uh, of the rest of the UK um, which then David Cameron so when we still had the coalition before it was just a pure conservative government now we haven't and I think now people will begin to realise how much good work the Lib Dems actually did uh-huh. in tempering what the conservatives wanted to do we're really going to see that coming up um, but um, so basically uh, the SNP were kind of uh, run by a guy called Alex Salmond who's an interesting guy look him up online you'll see him you, the first thing you'll think is it looks like his eyebrows are trying to have a fight with each other <laughs> which kind of very much represented the struggle between uh, Westminster and Holyrood, which right. you know, which yep. is the Parliament up in Scotland. So there's a lot. There's been a growing. <laughs> there's been a growing feeling. I like the. I like the idea that he like just subtly impressed conferences with all the messages were going through the eyebrows. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. Just, like, <laughs> just dancing. I'm not listening to a thing he's saying, but there's some weird subliminal message I'm getting from those eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Must vote SMP. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, facial sign language. That that would be amazing. Uh, Jim Carrey would be very good at that. Um, but there's a there's a so so basically there was an increasing feeling, I guess, amongst people that too much uh, of the decisions, you know, like too much ruling from London in Westminster, and not enough being done with local constituencies, and and everyone thinking very south and southern in their voting with Parliament and feeling like, you know, people wanted to be separate. Like even they were talking about the north of England being independent, you know, at one point as well. I, you know, poor so, old England, by the way, yeah. used to run the whole world. Yeah. Was great at invading places and taking over and instituting their way of life. And now even bits of England are like, fuck you. Yeah. We're yeah. leaving as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just so you can't all be controlled from London, I think, and that's the that's the problem uh, that that it that it's not sort of spread out. So so basically, Scotland didn't vote for independence because I think at the last minute, a lot of the older people were thinking about their pensions and retirement. And basically, David Cameron they did told a scare a campaign, of, yeah, didn't they? Yeah. He basically came out and said, you know, that none of this is guaranteed if you go your own way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of the older people voted selfishly, which is their entitlement to do. You right, know. particularly when you're old. Yeah, yeah. And so you're like, I'd love to think about the next generation, but also I'd love not to eat pet food next week. So yeah, yeah. sorry about it. You to, can work that shit out yourself, love. I'd love to not be thinning my porridge out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have to have this haggis last a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, so, um, and then Scottish people who were living in the UK, like my boyfriend, were kind of like, oh, this is, you know, because he couldn't vote. Hang on. He had to be living in Scotland. So you could be a Scottish person living in, sorry, living in London, but you couldn't vote on the referendum. Oh, on the referendum. So, yeah, yeah. But so he can the, vote in the. Oh, yeah, the general election, yeah. yes. So okay. the referendum. But he was kind of going, if we get independence, I'm rebuilding Hadrian's wall down the middle of the bedroom. That was his threat. <laughs> so I think he thinks that I've dominated too much of the bedroom. So, uh, you know, <laughs> a traditional representation of yeah, the yeah, yeah yeah so um so so basically the SNP so that so so that there was a no vote but SNP were taking a lot of seats from Labour up in Scotland like support for SNP was really strong um, they were like so they're going to get um, seats in the House of Parliament you know which is great um, which is but so much press coverage had gone to like kind of UKIP which is really interesting because charlie was asking me on the weekly about ukip he was like why are they so popular and i was like they're not like up until november last year they only had one seat out of 300 and something now if i said to you there's a school and at lunchtime you know all of these kids sit in groups and then one sits on his own that's not the popular kid no that's not popular but they're mental they're like the westboro baptists of the political world right so they do crazy stuff and they're on the far right so you had sort of UKIP floating around and then SNP, basically Ed Miliband, 
uh, sort of a week before the general election. By the way, the way you say that, it really sounds like it's like it, it's his covers band of the Steve Miller band. The Steve Miller band. Yeah, yeah. Steve Miller band. I'm, I'm, I'm Ed Miller band. This yeah. is the Ed Miller band. Steve had to leave. <laughs> well, it's a very un- unsexy name, isn't it? I think I said it sounds like a 1950s girdle. <laughs> Like that you would wear. Are you wearing the Ed Miller band? Yeah. Oh, this is yeah. No, you look, I look good. I look really slim. I'm really don't I? slimming that Ed Miller band. <laughs> just, oh, I had the uh, Ed Miller band installed. Yeah. Uh, that's why I look good now. I'm on the cellars. And names are important in like you know. I would say that David Cameron sounds like quite a strong name. It does. You know, sounds Tony like a Abbott name. sounds like your mate. Yeah. You know, as awful as he is, but it, but they are. There is something in that. So Miller band, not yeah. uh, not. I'm not sure sense. Prime Minister Ed either is even like. You know what yeah, I mean? Ed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his real name? Is it Edward? I, I'm assuming it's Edward. Why didn't you go with Edward yeah. Miller? Oh, no, because that's too posh Ed, now, isn't Ed, it? Edward Miliband. Yeah. Edward you can't Woodward. be a Labour leader with Edward Miliband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Too much, too much. But it, but so he, he came out about a week before the election and said that he would not form a coalition with the SNP. So last time around, we had a coalition because, the, the, you know, you need to get the majority of seats. You need uh-huh. to get over 226 or something, right? And last time round, you know, conservatives were in front, but they didn't have the uh, majority needed to rule on their own. So he ruled out uh, uh, the possibility of a coalition. Now, people in politics here were saying, that's because that's what a good leader does. You say you're going for an outright win. You don't say we're going for a coalition. Right. But at the same time, I think the way I described it was using a kind of poker metaphor, right, is that Ed Ed has gone, I won't form a coalition with the SNP. Like, he's done a load of pre-flop betting, basically. Right. And you don't know what's going to come up on the flop, Ed. Right. Do you know what I mean? What if SNP comes up on the river? What if David Cameron's got pocket SNPs? Right. You fucked it, mate. <laughs> right? Um... So, so I, so that that was one of the problems. But that's also like you know, um, it's like somebody who's been in, like you know, sometimes you like you you might go out and see, um, like for example, you might go and see the Bush, but you might not go and see Noel by himself. Yeah, you're like, right. I, yeah, Noel's like, well, I'd like to sell as many tickets as the Bush by myself. Well, maybe you won't, mate. Maybe yeah. sometimes if you're going to sell that many tickets, you're going to have to get back Julian back together and like you know form a coalition. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so by stating that he wouldn't do that. I think he and so they cause, because the SNP took a lot of the Labour votes up in Scotland. So essentially, so, that he was the Smiths. He was yeah, saying, "I'm never, yeah, never getting back together. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. we're not getting the band back together." So, so that was one of Labour's problems. The lack of charisma for Ed Miliband was another one of their problems. Like I say, I reluctantly voted Labour. Um, in order to stop, you know, I can't. I saw that Greens. bumper sticker on your car, though. Yeah, I reluctantly voted <laughs> Labour. It's it's weird that they got them printed. <laughs> <laughs> they know how people feel. Um, so I think there needs to be a big shake up there. But also another thing that happened was Russell Brand kind of did this kind of a lot of the disenfranchised youth and went, don't vote, it's a revolution. Now, what's interesting about Russell Brand's revolution is for his his necklace that his girlfriend, Jemima Goldsmith, bought him of the Goldsmith family, who are incredibly rich, uh, revolution, it said the word love backwards in diamonds, Mm. because that's how a revolution starts, maybe with some blood diamonds. Blood diamonds. Some small African children's hands on some stuff. So I, I, yeah, yeah. As any great revolution should start. Um, a charismatic dictator yeah. who doesn't obey any of the rules that he's putting out to other people. Yeah, this is your perfect revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and as smart as I think he is, I mean, there's and, and I think he's smart and funny and I think he's a great stand-up, but there's certain things that I get kind of... Um, this, is not, uh, this is not to, like, you know, bag any other comedian because, you know, like I think that uh, it's great for everybody to have their own voice and people should be talking about the things that they should be talking about. And people have heard me, like, talk on this podcast before about both the likes that I have for Russell Brand and the problems that I have with Russell Brand, which is I think that good on him. He's a rich Hollywood celebrity and he could just be talking about being a rich Hollywood celebrity and, you know, being married to Katy Perry and making jokes about that and making millions of dollars. He's decided instead that he wants to talk about something that he believes is more important than that. So that bit I endorse. That bit I'm like, well, that he's going to use his comedic powers for good instead of evil. Good on you, Russell. But then I think you don't have to use every word that's ever been invented to make that point. And you also don't have to do that thing about 
saying to people, like, you're the first person who's ever discovered these ideas. Yes. Like, yes. I mean, essentially what you've done, Russell, is not had one original thought of your own. You've done a really great job of cobbling together some of the more popular thinkers of modern times into kind of a ideology of your own. And I have absolutely no problem with that. I think most of us cobbled together our ideologies by picking you know, bits and pieces out of different people that we yeah. like. And I'm not sure that's a, a bad response, but I think maybe you should acknowledge that rather than like, you know, it's always the born again smoker or the born again Christian or the born again who's the worst, worse than everybody. I think there's a point in his book where he says something like he's talking about capitalism and he says, and Orwell agrees with me. And I was like, wow, that's a stunning act of metaphysics. <laughs> what did you do? Bring up his ghost, Ouija board him. I mean, like... Th- no, and Russell level- Brand's also a time traveller. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a level of arrogance in that, that you yeah. go, all well agrees with, with you. Me. Wow. Yeah. You know, I, I, so I think that is... Um, and also for how I might long- in, I might in my show tonight, because I have a piece in the show about uh, the golden rule, do unto others, and how yeah. and my update to the golden rule. Uh, so tonight uh, I might finish that by saying, and Jesus agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I met him on Mount Sinai and we had a good chat about it. Um, but there, yeah, there is definitely, and also within that, I think there's been a strand of, I mean, he's definitely a ladies man. There's been some stuff that he's done, which I think is misogyny, you know, and and I kind of go, if you want to have any revolution or movement, you have to include women right. and hold up women and hold up powerful women. And so, and, and I mean, he did admittedly say that Jemima Karma had made him rethink the way that he... Uh, that he um, kind of spoke to women or thought about women. But then also in, within that, there's something inherently sexist of kind of going, it, it took the right woman or a good woman. Like there's, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I think he smartly he has really great ideas. But the problem was that he, what he did here was with young people, he said to them, don't vote. Then, like two or three days before the general election, he met with Ed Miliband and then came out and went, vote Labour. And I'm like, well, this is entirely pointless because these people aren't registered to vote now. You cannot tell them for like, you know, and that was like two weeks before the general election or three weeks before the general election. You had to have your, 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 uh, to register to vote, basically. So what you've done is you've stepped in at the last minute and realised that if people don't vote, we have the potential disaster of the Conservatives being in power, which are kind of pretty much anti-everything you stand for. And at the last, you've gone, vote Labour, vote Labour, and you're like, too late, mate. Too late. None of them are registered. You've told them not to believe in a political system. And if you don't take part in it and you don't vote, and I understand, as well as anyone, as I reluctantly voted Labour, that there's not always going to be something there that represents you, you know? Um, Well, the thing that I've always said on this topic, and again, this is one of the issues that I would personally have with Russell's philosophy on that topic, which is that if you don't vote, you are voting. And I will say it a million times, if you don't vote, you're voting for the status quo. Yes. That's the only way but we change Australia, it. in Australia, it's compulsory, right? Yes. So we don't have that here. I mean, it's compulsory to, and again, it's compulsory to attend. Right. But it's not compulsory abstain. to vote. You Once you abstain. get there, you can write whatever you want on the on the right, form. Right. But you have to get to the point and, like, you know, then make that choice. Right. So you can then. So you have to engage with it to a certain level. And I, I think that's good. I think here, what happens is you go, I don't have to register. I don't have to have an opinion if I don't register so that I don't have to engage with it. And I think if we did, if it was compulsory, but when you get there, you could go, I don't want to vote because none of them represent me. But then at least you've engaged with politics. At least you've got yourself to a point of thinking about it. Right. And Um, then you're not voting is actually a statement. Yes. If you get there and you draw a giant cock and balls on the voting slip or whatever. Who wouldn't? (laughs) 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 But I mean that, you know. But it'd be, it'd be great if, like, enough people drew a giant cock and balls and, like, on election yeah, night... Yeah, the cock and balls the, party. Hang on. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is... Uh, we, we seem to have elected a cock and balls. <laughs> oh, no, actually, it, we did in Australia anyway, so that's a good point. <laughs> so, um, that's interesting. Was it a shock that the Conservatives got back in again, do you think, or was it... <sighs> no, I, I kind of... I, I, I feel like I felt it coming. I kind of hoped that it wouldn't, but I, I felt like no one else was had kind of got themselves together enough. Like the Green Party, again, it was about splitting the Labour vote. And so people were voting for the Greens, but their policies were insane. Like what's, you know, what like do you mean? When they put their manifesto out there, they had just crazy stuff. By like, the way, anytime you put out a manifesto, it's yeah. always going to include at least one crazy thing. Oh, yeah. There was one, there was one like, <laughs> we'll ban cloning and then, but like, no, something like... <laughs> you no, know, the big issues. No, yeah, like no <laughs> keeping of rabbits in a cage. 
I mean, they are the green party, yeah. but it was stuff like that of like, we need to not keep rabbits in a cage. And you're going, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Rabbits shouldn't be kept as pets. That's really, okay. Can we tackle equal pay before that? Oh, no. We think can we? Can the rabbit thing's easier. Yeah. Like so equal pay is a whole society thing. The rabbit thing, we just have to let some rabbits out of some cages. Yeah, yeah. If uh, women we're, were in cages, we could just let them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if women are willing to dress as rabbits, we are happy to let them out yeah. of cages. Well, they are if you're a Playboy bunny. Oh, good point. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> but um, so, the, so they had so, – so the Greens – also, there was kind of this weird, almost like, uh, this is probably the wrong way of saying it, but Natalie Bennett had this idea of like, not forced collectivization, but I'm going to say that, of like people having, you know, there was this kind of idea of farming and having your own piece of land, everyone growing their own vegetables and all of that kind of stuff. So it just wasn't that, work, you know, so I, I think I always knew that it was all too disparate. So you've got people, uh, Lib Dem lost a lot uh, a lost a lot a lot of seats basically because when we voted in so Lib Dem were the decider and they're like you're going to go coalition with conservatives or Labour and kind of the hope was that they were going to coalition with Labour but they went with the conservatives um, and but they were like don't worry we've got this covered then immediately rescinded on their one big thing which was tuition fees so that's why Nick Clegg is seen as you know um I mean, he did a, like his speech for stepping down, like the loser's speeches. We do that really well here, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds <laughs> of years of <laughs> yeah, but um, but uh, but but I think we'll realise how much good that he did do. And I mean, I'll be the first to sort of criticise Clegg uh, for that reason, like immediately rescinding. One of the first things you said was, "We're not going to put tuition fees in place." You know, um, so you know, was maybe... this uh, university tuition for? Like, yeah, was, what yeah. was the issue? Explain to me well, what that well, issue was. Well. Um, because what do people pay for university like here? Like 10 grand, I think. I don't know if that's for the whole thing or for because I'm so far past university age. Um, uh, but, um, you know, they wanted to put in place like, you know, like 10, 12,000 pounds. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 we will make sure there's no tuition fees. And then as soon as they were voted in, that was the first thing the Conservatives said, tuition fees. So it's um, interesting. We were talking while we were having lunch about the idea of like, in, like uh, how society reinforces privilege. Yeah. And that, like how it's very subtle. And that's a perfect but way of Tuition doing it. fees is a, a perfect way. It yeah. means basically that the people who already have the money, uh, yeah, they can don't worry, higher education. can afford a higher education, which, of course, as we all know from countless studies, means that you will earn more and, you know, well, you have the possibility to earn more and that you, you know, can be in those leadership roles in society and run the companies and all those sort of things that they do. Yeah. You know, those Fortune 200 companies and whatever. That, that, and it feeds that same system. Yeah. You know, there are still some countries that have completely free tertiary education. Australia had not a bad system when I went through. Like my university degree probably cost me thirty or $40,000, but we had like a heck system where I didn't even start paying it back until like I earned $45,000 a year or something like that. Whatever the cutoff yeah. is, yeah. you get to a certain point and then it's only like 1% out of your tax. And then as you earn more and more, they take more and more until you've paid it off. But basically in a way that I never even noticed, because yeah. by the time you can afford to pay it off, well, yeah. it just kind of gradually pays off, you know. Yes, yeah. But we're changing it now, so it's going to be much more expensive and much harder again. Yeah. And it will and stop poorer people from going yeah. to... And and bright and, you know, bright minds and... So, yeah, so it wasn't a surprise. I mean, I kind of went to bed whilst it was still going on in... Uh, by that point, I think I was in Bahrain, or maybe I was still in Dubai, uh, kind of... And I think I tweeted something like, um, I'm going to bed now. When I wake up in the morning... Um, and uh, if I wake up in the morning and I find out I've slept with uh, the conservatives, you know, and I'm pregnant, I'm not or something about like if I wake up in the morning, I'm pregnant. If it's a conservative, I'm not keeping it. Something like that. And it's some kind of joke of like, don't tell. And then and then obviously that was the that was kind of the news. And we're, we're you know, and, and the, uh, I guess there's a, what you have to try and do is be positive and look forward to see what things uh, we can talk about and campaign for and protest and kind of rather than kind of just constantly bemoaning the fact that the party that you wanted to get in uh, didn't get in. I just think to be negative at this point, I think we, we've got to try and go, OK, all right, what are you going to do to get the economy back on its feet? How are you going to help working class people? You know, uh, what are you going to do about arts funding? You know, all of these sort of. Yeah, I think I mean I think it's our responsibility to keep political parties accountable regardless of what you know color or flavor or leanings they have anyway. Like I mean in Australia I I mean I had a little online 
not an argument, just a disagreement with somebody who, because I was uh, having a go at the leader of the Labor Party in Australia for something that he'd essentially just agreed with the government on that they should have been not agreeing. It was on our uh, security laws and metadata and, yeah, the government's as- access to our... Basically, the Australian government have b- brought in a bunch of laws where they can spy on all of us, right. but laws that bad people, you know, the criminals, the people yeah. that they're actually meant to, can get around in like like this. Yeah. Like right, you just right. get a VPN, no one so reads your, your things. your own version of a kind of like Snowden situation. With right. The, yeah, yeah. And the whole country and the opposition like agreed to it and just let it through. And so I tweeted about this and somebody was having a go at me saying, well, if we want the Conservatives out of power, you've just not, you know, we've got to be small targets on the left and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, whatever the government is, whatever the party is, you pick the principles that you believe in and then you fight for those principles. And if one of the parties you know, isn't, it's no good having the Labor Party and if they're just going to bring in tertiary fees as well, or there's no good having the Labor Party and if they're going to be as, you know, uh, tough on immigration or whatever the issue is that you are, you know, so passionate about, you know? Well, well, the problem is as well is that you get to a point where I, I sometimes do a newspaper review for Sky News and uh, I what, made a, what, what, what do you do? Like a, a newspaper review. So what does they that get, mean? So it's a news channel. So Sky News, you get it in Australia yeah. stuff, right? So uh, I do it in the morning here, like six, seven, and it's like, like half past six, half past seven, half past eight. We do a roundup of the morning's papers. We okay. go through the stories and we discuss them. All right. So it's normally a journalist, um, uh, you know, uh, from one of the papers and someone else, like a comic, you know. So it's kind of one of those things because it is a news channel takes a little while to get used to, to learn how to judge the tone and stuff. But I think I'm pretty good at doing it, you know. Uh, but we can discuss stuff. We can make jokes. Now, I made a joke about Ed Miliband on one of those days. And I got a tweet from a woman going, your hand, you know, like mocking Ed Miliband. This has to stop. It's right wing propaganda, right wing press. And I was like, I mean, you don't know what you're talking about because I vote Labour. Right. And I always have. She reluctantly. Was like, well, you're, you're I reluctantly, reluctantly vote, vote Labour. <laughs> and she went, you're handing power to to uh, the conservatives by mocking him. And I was like, no, I'm a comic. It's my right to mock whoever and whatever I choose to mock. Right. But also you've got to mock things when they deserve to be mocked. Otherwise you are partisan. Uh, Otherwise you are a supporter or a barricade. Yeah. You should be an equal opportunity discriminator. Like if somebody pops their head up and says something that you disagree with or you think that deserves to be mocked, then mock it. Yeah. Exactly. And I would do the same for David Cameron. I'd do the same for Nick Clegg. I'll do the same for Nick Griffin. You know, um, oh, and for Nick Griffin's the old, um, God, that's not even the, uh, I was in, is it? God, Nigel Farage, you know, whoever. So the, I, I, I would, I would mock whoever, you know, and it just happened to be on that day that Ed Miliband had done something idiotic. But the idea that I can't question even the people that I like is ridiculous. No, I think we have to do more of that. We have to hold everybody accountable. Yeah. And I mean, not in a, like, just in a, a generally, and pick the battles, the right ones. Yeah. Not just for little slip-ups or somebody says something stupid that is completely, you know, if you look at the rest of the things that they've done, this is clearly an aberration or they just misspoke or whatever it is. Ignore that stuff, but get to the stuff that speaks to the heart of the party or the heart of the people, you know? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, look, we, we have to finish soon because you've got to uh, do a voiceover and stuff, but I, I still want to uh, get to a couple of other things if we can while you're here. Sure. Um, I want to talk to you about doing Charlie's show, The Weekly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I haven't got to see the whole show yet because, uh, you know, obviously I've been overseas, but I've been seeing bits and clips and I think he's doing a really great uh, job with it. Um, uh What's that like, you know, doing a, a an Australian te- – like being involved in an Australian television show, but you're you're not it there. You're not actually there yeah, and part of it. Yeah. That, that's a bit of a weird thing, surely. Yeah. Um, well, it's uh, it's one of those things where you – like learning new skills to do a thing. So I think I did the first one and we shot it in a studio in London. And what's weird about that is you're kind of doing comedy down a – down a satellite link which is really weird because I couldn't see Charlie I can't see the audience but I can hear Charlie I can hear the audience so you're kind of doing a thing it's a joke and I'm kind of and then three seconds later it lands and you get like <laughs> you just get this like ha ha back and you're like oh of course so then you have to stop and go again and it's, it's kind of really interesting it's kind of like walking a tightrope and juggling and reciting the alphabet backwards all at the same time trying to be funny trying to get in the stuff that you want to um but Charlie's great as well in that Charlie is quite um, 
he obviously like likes my stuff and that's why he's asked me to do the show so it's great that I can hear him responding as well because sometimes it happens here in the UK certainly if you're not a regular on a show and you're the guest the regulars get like lots of like laughter and stuff and then it can be quite difficult I remember someone once describing a show as like when where they did a joke where it's like dropping a penny down a well and you're like oh, I know that was a really good joke but because I'm not a regular on the show they've really um, and so I think they're working here to kind of change that atmosphere and especially change it for like women being on those shows but what was lovely about that is just immediately the audience were on side and laughing and and so it just made it just made it really nice for me you know but I think someone commented that I have an amazing poker face and it's like well it's because I'm doing the stuff and I can't really judge it by what's going on in the room because it's on a three second delay um but yeah, so I, that's also one of those things because I've I've done uh, gigs in countries. Like for example, when you play uh, the Montreal Just for Last Festival, yeah. because most of the people in Montreal speak French as their first language and English as their second language. They all speak English brilliantly, but and they're going to this gig that is all English speaking. But there is a moment where, but a I have an accent that they don't immediately, you know, they yeah. have to think about the words a little bit. B I speak quite quickly, and C they're translating it kind of from French into English. English to get it that often there's just an extra beat before like the the joke lands and yeah. it, but the thing is that you've got to like make sure to wait for that but if the joke doesn't land then suddenly you've just waited awkwardly for like three or four seconds going oh no they're a bit oh no okay no they just didn't like that joke yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then it's like a, a a really really long silence so you have to kind of play the whole thing like you're storming it and allow those it's like playing a festival well that's really exciting I'm, I'm excited to have you on that show and uh, I think that um, it's going to be brilliant you're going to do some more before the end of the series so people yeah. should uh, keep their eye out for a, that a couple more yeah at least 8.30 so. Wednesday nights uh, the weekly it's called um, again before we go and I, I am conscious of your time but um, just can we go back to the Middle East just for a second because sure. uh, you you I've never been really, apart from the Dubai airport, and that was about uh, the most I ever wanted to go. Because yeah. even there, I was like, um, hang well, on, kind of force you guys still have slaves, right? <laughs> yeah, Here yeah. in the airport. And I'm meant to be happy that these slaves are bringing me stuff? It was weird. I did not feel comfortable there at all. But um, what about Bahrain? What's that like? Bahrain, again, it's, it's a – I remember made a joke about the other night. Like in Dubai, it's a moderate state, so I bought a bikini. Mm. Uh, and then I do a – You story. weren't allowed to wear it, but you could buy it. <laughs> But uh, so I did a cult, kind of whole story about feeling, feeling not very body confident and going, maybe I'll wear a burqa. So there's a kind of... Or like, you could wear the burkini as burkini, they have in Australia. Yes, have you yeah, seen the burkini? Yes, I have seen the burkini. Yep. And they're amazing, especially if you don't want to get a tan as well. Right. If you want to keep your skin, you know, uh, keep the sun off. Well, I mean, that's the great irony about Australia. Like people are trying to ban the burqa, but like with the hole in the ozone layer and the fact that we're <laughs> the number one, like hottest, it's going to be the hottest country of all time and everyone's getting melanomas. In the future, we'll all have to wear clothes like that. Yeah. Yeah, it is well, actually I, they'll, they'll they'll win because they're the only ones who are going to survive melanoma. <laughs> well, there's a there's a lots of guys actually in the kind of the the dress in the Middle East, certainly in Bahrain and and Dubai and stuff. If I see sort of Middle Eastern men in tra- traditional dress, as I think I make a joke about my problem with the burqa is I turn up at a party and I'd be like, oh my god, Fatima, I can't believe you've worn it in black as well. Oh, it's the you same. Yeah. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I know, but slimming, right? Slim, right. hot, hot. Yeah, but... <laughs> who, but here, who wore it better? They stay in the yeah. paper. But here's the thing. Of all the men wear white, they wear white. So I'm like, is this another... Why is it, are the women in black? Uh, and the men are in white. Yeah. Yeah, it's like interesting, Like the, the colour that reflects the heat and yes. keeps them cool. And then the women are there in the... You know, so, I mean, there's there's lots of sort of exploring that, but I find it a very... And weirdly enough, female ninjas have to wear white, yeah. which is very hard to be discreet. It's, it's against women at all times. Because all of the walls are white. Yeah, yeah. That, that is true. Um, uh, I wonder if they do, they get a lot of, so who goes to the comedy in those places? Like um, who are you performing mainly, to? It's mainly expats. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, and so, and some of whom are really, really lovely. And some you're like, I see why you moved here. Cause you've been an asshole everywhere else in the world. Oh, right. Yeah. Like literally <laughs> no one likes you at home. You've had to, <laughs> you've had to move to Bahrain. And, um, and so they do things like in Dubai, they do this thing that they call Friday brunch, which is really popular. And it's loads of like really oh, people dress like they're at the Oscars and loads of plastic surgery, sort of, uh, Western women, like all really dressed up for this, like lunch in a hotel. It's very weird. It's very weird. 
Um, it's interesting. That's culturally obviously very completely different. Yeah, yeah. Do they like Western things? Like, they are do, they listening they to Stevie Nicks? Are they listening yeah. to? Yeah, of course. Prince? I mean, that's you know? and, and Dubai is Dubai is very Western. But like I say, all the worst aspects of Western culture, in my opinion. In Bahrain, I met uh, a girl who was my favorite of, Prince song, Purple Bahrain. Purple Bahrain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I met a girl who we, we were kind of talking about the fact that in Bahrain, that's where all the Saudis come over the bridge at the weekend. Oh, and they come over because you can drink there so it's not dry uh-huh. and they sleep with prostitutes like that's a that's a known thing so they come over so it's basically like uh what happens on tour weekend, stays on yeah, tour a weekend off your religion um that's and so the, it's, isn't that the weirdest thing of all and you, it's the same with like a lot of these countries where you have the princes and stuff who are living these lifestyles that are completely countercultural to the laws that are like you know that everybody else is meant to abide well, yeah, by yeah and then there's the sort of stuff in the quran about false idols and only sort of worshiping muhammad and then you go past and there's pictures of the king or the princes and big like monuments built to them and you're like oh okay this is interesting you know um so so i could probably get in a serious amount of trouble for saying that uh, no i couldn't no I no no i wouldn't i mean um, I, look i think it's fair for anyone to point out i mean look at the catholic church that's meant to be about you know like uh yeah, yeah. helping the poorest and most and they're the richest organ they have yeah. more expensive yeah. real estate than anywhere else in the Pope entire Mobile world and his tiny red shoes right no knickers the um, old Pope, not this new Pope. This really new Pope's the, you know, new, new Pope's, new pope's a bit... got a pair of sandals and is catching the bus. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Old, the old Pope had his Gucci sunglasses and his yeah. big red hat and stuff. Yeah. yeah. His uh, revolution necklace with uh, uh, love the new pope is backwards. The, 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 yeah, yeah, our Russell Brand. Good, we're both going to the same place for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should uh, finish up because you've got to do a, a, a like a voiceover thingy. So um, uh, where can people find you, Tiff? If people want to like, uh, uh, like, you know, follow you online, if they want to like, uh, see where you're doing gigs. If- sure. Um, I'm on at Tiff Stevenson on Twitter. So uh, you can find me on there. And my website is tiffstevenson.co.uk. And you can find like all my tour dates and stuff. And the, hopefully, I think, hopefully, I'll be over in Australia next year. That'd be brilliant. And um, uh, Old Rope, of course, is on Monday nights in London if you're yeah, ever in London Oxford and you Circus, want to see that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a new material night every Monday. Like in uh, a couple of weeks, we've got Jake Johansson headlining that. Do you know Jake? Jake's a really good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before. So people will know Jake. He's coming to do Soho Theatre. So we're catching up uh, next yeah. week, which he will be brilliant. He is brilliant. I met him in Kilkenny last year and I just, we did a show together. It was like, uh, Colin Murphy hosting me, Tommy Tiernan and Jake Johansson. It was such a brilliant night. I mean, I love Kilkenny and that's just sort of finished just now. So a bunch of the comics that are over from the States as well are kind of going to be in London. So that's a, a good time for us. You know, my room in London has had lots David of... David Letterman's favourite comedian. Did yes. you know that? Uh, Louis C.K.'s as well. Yeah. Jake did, Johansson. I think uh, Jake did like Letterman like 43 or 44 times. Yeah. He's brilliant. Isn't he brilliant? Yeah. I lived at, uh, people who listen to the podcast regularly know this, but I lived at his house uh, for three months when I, uh, they had like a room out the yeah. front of their house, but I lived there for like three months uh, when, when, when I was first moving over to America. And I think those people are officially about to drill through the wall. <laughs> Like this, this is how the podcast ends with yeah. some people drilling through the wall. <laughs> uh, all right, Tiff, thank you so much. Hey, uh, guys, um, uh, by the time you hear this, I might still have a couple of shows left uh, in London at the Soho Theatre, so you can come and see those uh, if they are not sold out. That'd be really cool. Uh, then I'm doing Free Will in LA at the Nerd Melt Theatre on July the 11th. I'm taking it to the Montreal Just for Last Festival. And the Sydney shows and Perth shows, which are the last bits of the Australian tour, are on sale now. Sydney's selling pretty quick. So if you want tickets to Sydney, they're the only shows we uh, can do of the show it's at the Enmore Theatre 7th and 8th and 9th maybe of August and then the uh, 9th and 10th of October in Perth so uh, check those out that'd be cool uh, September 18, 19, 20 is the LA Podcast Festival we will be doing a live TOEFOP there as well Tiff it's been brilliant to have you on thank oh, you for so coming much. back cheers and we'll talk again soon